Well, a very merry post-Christmas and a happy pre-New Year to everybody. I know this is weird for some of you, us still talking about Christmas five minutes after Christmas is over. You know you're here. I don't know who you are, but there are some of you here who the day after Christmas, you start taking decorations down, don't you? Who are you? You want to raise your hands? We got one. We got one in the booth. Well, I no longer trust what's going to happen from sound from this point on. I'm not here to judge you, but I kind of am. Um, No, there's a lot of different ways to do Christmas, right? There's a lot of different ways to do Christmas decorations. Some of you are very strict on the nothing before December 1st, and then at the stroke of midnight, you're taking out bins and barrels and boxes and decking the halls. Um, if you're in the Voenkel household, we take a different extreme. We tend to have all of our decor up before the first frost. And uh, sometimes that happens in September. And so we like to be prepared. And uh, we've, kind of, we've kind of merged a couple holidays into one. So, you know, some people decorate for, for Halloween. Some people, I don't know what you decorate for on Thanksgiving. But we've merged that into Christmas along with <clears throat> Valentine's Day. And um, don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me, okay? We, uh, we, we do. We love the feeling, especially inside of the house. I care less about the outside of the house. I'm not really concerned about you driving by and judging if I've decorated too much or too little. Whatever. I'm not burning electricity on you. I love the inside of my house to feel like Christmas at all times. And so uh, a lot of times we have our decor up in, uh, in November and we carry it well well into the new year. Now, we do have standards. We do have standards. We do typically take our uh, our decorations down before March, so you can thank St. Patrick's Day for that. Uh, but point being, we, uh, we, we do. We, we keep our decorations up quite a bit in our household. A lot of different ways to do it. I know some of you guys are strict December 1st and uh, before the last present is unwrapped, you have already have all the bins out, color coordinated, and you are ready to go. You are ready to deconstruct Christmas and put it away for another year. If that's you, I'm praying for you. That's fine. We, we also know there's a lot of different ways to do gifts on Christmas, right? Amy already shared uh, her family's tradition, which may be like your family tradition of how you open gifts. Um, I grew up in a home of all boys, and Olivia grew up in a home where there were mostly girls. And so our gift opening traditions were a little, a little different. Uh, and I learned that at our, at our first Christmas that we spent at her family's house. Now, um, very intentional in the Ka family. Uh, very, very intentional. There's a, there's a scripture reading. We read through all four gospels. Um, <laughs> It felt like that, though. It felt like that. Um, we, we, we do a reading of the Christmas story, all of us together. Now, that's, that's been altered a little bit since our grandbabies have entered into the mix. But uh, that, that first Christmas, it was one to be remembered and never forgotten. And so uh, we read the Christmas story, and then we all go around and we open one gift at a time. So that each gift can have its, its spotlight shown upon it and, and be thanked for what it truly is and the person can be adequately thanked. And it's this beautiful celebration that lasts far, far past our decorations do into the new year. I mean, 
it goes on for quite a while. Now, you, you, you take that and you compare it to the gift opening tradition that was the Volinkel household, uh, which is basically a free for all. It is a, it is a all gifts in front of you and mom starts the clock and when it hits zero, when the buzzer goes, I mean, it is just bows are hitting you in the face. Paper is everywhere. You've got tape on your, like, ever. it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And the whole thing is over with in about 30 seconds. And, uh, I mean, at the end, you look at, at the remains, and honestly, it looks like a war zone. You can't see the couch that you're sitting on. You've lost your lap. You don't even know where the gifts actually are, but you're thanking people for them. And uh, it's just a straight-up free-for-all. Now, one thing happens... Uh, it actually happened quite often in our home where we would pull out all of our gifts and we'd have all of our gifts in front of us and the word go would happen. And then you have anarchy. And then at the end, you know, you're going around with the, with the plastic bag and you're, you're cleaning up the Christmas remains and uh, you see the couch again and it's all right there. And all of a sudden you get down to a point, you're like, wait, there's, there's a gift that's here. And in the shrapnel of all of the, like, we missed it amidst the wreckage that was our Christmas. And sure enough, this happened on several occasions in our household where all of a sudden there would be a gift at the end of the whole exchange, if you want to call it that. And uh, someone would be like, oh, hey, I know it's kind of over, but uh, here, this is from me to you, I guess. And uh, it's a little anticlimactic, but you're never going to turn down getting a gift, right? It's always a good thing. And it's funny, as we, as we think through how we handle Christmas, whether we are a uh, decorations till almost March, or a decorations done the moment after Christmas is over, whether we are a take a gift and, and make it memorable, or if we are just crazy tearing at stuff, I think it's really important as we consider Christmas. Because I, like you, are, are, I'm one of those people where, you know, when, when you have the lineup of Christmas sermons, once Christmas is over, it's like, okay, let's get back to regularly scheduled programming. You know, where were we? We're Corinthians? We're in Corinthians? Let's get back, like, like, throw them out, you know? It's, it's over. Christmas is over. The poinsettias are going to be dead soon. And yet, I think it's really important for us, before we blaze into the new year, we kind of got to stop. And just pump the brakes for a second and consider Christmas, especially this year, I think, of all the years, as Pastor Stephen has already shared, it has been a difficult year. And I think kind of in our haste to get to 2021 and to get 2020 in the rear view, we may make a mistake of missing some of the gifts about this Christmas season that were actually made for us to carry into the new year. Obviously, every Christmas, we celebrate the same thing. We, we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord. We celebrate the coming of the Christ. And yet, guys, it's not made to be a, a one-month, four-sermon series thing and then back to regularly scheduled programming. It is actually made to carry into, the beauty of that is made to carry into our life in the year ahead to get us to this point next year where we celebrate and we remember what was and how it impacts what is. And so we're going to pump the brakes today. We're not going to throw out the poinsettias just yet. We're going to stop and we're going to kind of move aside all of the holiday mess that has ensued, kind of pack away some of the papers so that we can find some of these gifts that we're meant to take with us into the new year. 
Now, there are just four of them that I drew out of our text for today. And I'm telling you, there are probably a whole lot more that we could, that we could uncover. So Titus 2 is going to help us with four of them. And as you see on your notes, if you're a note taker, um, I challenge you individually with your family later on today, see if you can come up with a few more uh, implications of the incarnation that, uh, that make a difference for us as we travel into the new year. Because there are more than four, but today we will look at Titus 2 and discover four of them. If you are using the Pew Bible in front of you, we are going to be on page 998. 998 in your Pew Bible. As you turn there, let me open up our time together in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for giving us a reason to celebrate each and every year. And I, and I confess that um, I have allowed Christmases to go by um, without truly stopping to consider the reason uh, why I celebrate. Without truly reflecting upon uh, the beautiful reason for this season, for uh, all of the uh, all of the wonderful things that come with it, and all of them are found in you. They're found in your coming. Uh, they're found in your personhood. They're found in in your work that you carried out. And so, God, I pray that as we reflect upon your word, as we reflect upon your coming, that as we leave this place, God, that you would instill in us. Uh, just a, a greater appreciation for who you are and what you did by coming to us and what that means for us today and every day. So God, we give you this time. We ask that your Holy Spirit would just pour into us the truth of who you are and that that truth would change us for our good and for your glory. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a look at Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14. Follow along with me as I read. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I want to turn your eyes to that first line in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So here we see that with the incarnation of Christ. Ooh, I see what I did there. That's page number two of notes. Let's go back to number one. (laughs) Here we see in the incarnation of Christ, God's beauty was personified. Here, when Paul says that the grace of God appeared, uh, that's a very interesting word choice. A lot of times when we hear the word appeared, we think of out of thin air. As though it was something that was never seen before. Now he's doing two things here. One, he's using the word appear. Two, he is using the word grace to refer to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the, he is the subject of this passage. So when he says the grace of God appeared, he is saying that the Christ appeared. And he is attributing God's grace to Christ. But, but this grace hasn't appeared out of thin air, right? We have seen God's grace before the coming of the Christ. God's grace is spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. 
His grace is sung about by the psalmist. His grace was, was on full display in the way that he treated Israel in the Old Testament time and time and time again. Frankly, from the moment he formed Adam from the dust and breathed life into his lungs, that is a beautiful act of God's grace, his, his undeserved favor, right? So, when it says that the grace of God appeared, it's important for us to understand what he means by that. We see him using this, this appeared language in verse 11. And also, if you skip on over to chapter 3 in Titus, verse 4, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... Again, we see the, the goodness and loving kindness of God being on display. So what he is trying to draw, what Paul is trying to have us see, is not that Christ is the coming of God's grace, but rather he's drawing these beautiful characteristics of who our God is out into the light, into full view. Appearance here is not out of thin air, but rather appearing is, is drawing out the fullness of who our God is, the full beauty of God on display in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we think about his, his coming, what was seen before Christ is now seen in full through his coming. Isn't that a beautiful reason for our Christ to come? For our Savior to appear? For us to be able to see the fullness of God on display, something that was seen in part, now seen in full, in this precious baby lying in a manger. We see uh, in Titus 2.11, we already read the appearance of God's grace. Titus 3.4, we saw the appearance of his goodness and loving kindness. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So it's not just these three characteristics of who God is that we see on display, but the fullness of who God is radiates from the person of Jesus Christ, who himself said in John fourteen nine, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Point being, the birth of Christ brought to us a fuller and more beautiful understanding of who our God is. And when we celebrate his coming year after year, we don't just celebrate the birth of a baby, but rather a new birth in our understanding of who our God truly is. Because that is what Christ came to display. Revealing the fullness of God's grace, his goodness, his loving kindness. And in a way, kind of pouring gas upon the fuel of our fire that we have to pursue this God. Right? Because all of a sudden, when we see the, the beauty and the fullness of who he is, all of a sudden, our desire to, to pursue him and draw near to him increases thanks to the coming of Christ. And yet, it wasn't just to display God's grace why Christ came, and we see that in the second half of, of verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here we see that with the incarnation of Christ, our salvation was realized. Our salvation was realized. In our home, the wait for Christmas is, it's a long wait. And it's our fault, right? Because we decorate in June. And so, uh, you know, you, you have a birthday for a child. And they might ask once in a while throughout the year, like, Mommy, when's my birthday? And then it kind of goes away. But when you start setting up for Christmas in early November, you really set yourself up for some really annoying conversations, right? Because kids have no concept of time. 
And so we can tell our sons, we can tell, uh, we can tell Judah or Jack, Jacob, you're getting better with it, man. I gotta tell you. When we say like, it's in four weeks, you're like, okay, cool, I get that. Judah has no understanding. Jack has no understanding. And so, hey, mommy, daddy, we're seeing the tree go up. We're seeing all the decorations. When's Christmas? Ah, oh, not for a while, sweetie. Yeah, we, we got a little bit of a wait yet. So, like, on Friday. No, no, not like, not like on Friday. It's gonna, it's gonna be a, a, a couple Fridays. Oh, so like, when, when, like, w- like after church. No, no, not, not like after church. It's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be further out than that. You're, you're looking at maybe like, you know, like, like eight weeks, about eight weeks away. So after I wake up from my nap. No, no, not, not then either. Uh, you're, it's gonna be like, it's going to be after like 28 It's going to be after like 70 naps, okay? Can you Oh, okay. So so like tomorrow, okay, you're going to stop asking about Christmas and we're going to burn all of your presents, okay? It's really how we're going to I I would like to say that those types of responses are beneath us as parents, but man, those questions really keep coming on for a while. No, it's it's a wait. It's a definite wait. And I, and I think of I think of how long of a wait it must have been as, uh, as, as men and women, as children, were awaiting the coming of their Messiah year after year after year. I mean, think, think of Chris's sermon in Isaiah that, uh, that pointed to the, the future coming of the Messiah and how many hundreds of years it was until the realization of that promise. I mean, how many weeks passed? How many, and they didn't even have like the goal of Christmas in mind. It could have came at any time. And, and how many conversations did they have amidst themselves waiting, asking, wondering, seeking the day when their Messiah would come? And yet when God came, God's grace perfectly revealed in human form a gift of salvation revealed to and to be realized by all, many failed to recognize who he was and missed the main reason why he came to begin with. And honestly, we've been doing the same thing ever since that first Christmas, right? Maybe not all of us. Maybe not in a eternal sense. But we have those years where we come to Christmas and it's more about the, the anticipation and the decoration and the celebration of this season. And there are many who are here today who you celebrate year after year after year after year and, and you might even put up a, a nativity set on your front lawn and yet you don't truly understand the real reason why we celebrate this season. You don't understand the fullness of what that beautiful manger scene represents. It wasn't just something for us to put on the front of a Christmas card or to pose in front of for a nice family photo, but instead it represents the coming of our salvation, the long-awaited Savior, the one who the prophets spoke about, coming to this earth in the form of man, God taking on human form to save us from sin that we couldn't save save ourselves from. That's why He came. And Titus 2 makes it so beautifully clear. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. How do we let year after year pass without truly 
stopping to reflect upon the beauty of why we celebrate. It can even become a rote. I know it, can, it became that way for me for a very long time growing up in the church where we come and everything becomes about the red and the green and yet to really stop and consider why we celebrate, um, a lot of times it was just lost on me year after year and it was just like, can we just, can we just get past these four sermons? Can we just get past these songs that we sing all the time and, and move on to something that's a little bit more relevant to our day? Christ came in the form of man that he would grow and one day give his perfect life to pay the penalty for every sin of every man who would trust him in faith and cry out to him in repentance. His coming is the revealing of God's plan to save us. That's why we celebrate. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 puts the incarnation of Christ into its proper context by saying, though he, Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, we also read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as son. You could also read all of Ephesians 1 if you want to see some of the true beauty behind Christ's coming and what that means for us. We're not going to for the sake of time, but I want to turn your attention to verses 7 through 10 in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In the incarnation of Christ, we celebrate more than a manger scene. We celebrate the birth of God's plan of salvation. We celebrate God coming to earth, becoming man, who would one day grow to wear our sin and take our punishment and die our death. To embody God's grace and become the object of our faith so that we could be united with him forever. His birth is the birth of God's plan of salvation for all men. And whether you come to church only on Christmas or Christmas and Easter, Creaster, that's still a thing. Anyway, or if you've never missed the Sunday, we are truly called to look at the beauty of this season and understand why it's here and why we celebrate. And we must never lose sight of the fact that we celebrate his birth in light of his coming death. A death he would die to display the beauty of God's grace and bring salvation to all. Romans 5, 6-8 through 8 puts it this way, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's plan of salvation has come. That's why we celebrate year after year. 
Maybe this is the hundredth time that you've heard that. Well, no, that would make you really old. Um, Maybe this is the 87th time you've heard this. There we go. Or maybe it's the first. Maybe you've never actually considered Christmas in light of its context. Christmas in light of the fact that it wasn't just God coming to earth, but our Savior and our plan of salvation being born unto us. And I want to invite you today, if you have never reached out and taken hold of the gift, maybe you're, maybe you're uncovering the wrapping for the first time and you're realizing, whoa, there's something under here that I've never picked up and realized for myself. And if that's you and you're realizing why Christ came and the fact that you have never truly trusted him as your glorious savior who came to live and die and rise again so that you could have eternal life, we want to invite you today to start that conversation with your creator. We're going to have men up front after the service who you can speak to, uh, who can help you more fully understand who this Christ is and why he came for you. We want to invite you down front uh, after the closing song to, to start that conversation. But I don't want to move forward to any of these other things without first stopping to realize that beautiful realization that came to us in the birth of Christ. That being said, let's turn our attention back to Titus 2. Look with me at verse 12. It says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Let me ask this, what's training us? What's training us in this passage? What's the subject? Jesus. Who reflects what? The fullness of God's grace. Grace is training us in this passage to do what we can't do on our own. Christ's coming not only paved the way to life everlasting, but it brings clarity to the life we live for him in the now as well. It's the grace that is magnified in Christ and the salvation that comes through Christ that gives context to the lives that we are called to live for him. Jesus didn't come to simply show us how to live and then die and go back to heaven and say, all right, it's up to you. As though it's some glorified game of follow the leader. How cruel would that be? How many of you are good at that game? Anyone? Anyone real good at like, I, I, I just imagine as I was thinking through it this week, um, I, I imagine being a child and in, in, in Wisconsin you get snow that it, it just keeps coming. And I remember times when I would follow my dad out to, to shovel the walk and he would take these dad sized steps in his big old dad boots. And I've got, I probably at that time I was probably like barefooted because Wisconsin. Um, and I would want to stay in my dad's tracks. And yet inevitably it, it was just impossible because his strides were so big. And so I might get over to one and then fall a little bit and I might try for the next one. And eventually I'm landing right on my butt in the snow and it's a hot mess and probably ended in cocoa so i probably won uh but but point being when jesus came he made these strides that are humanly impossible for us to make he lived a perfect life striding after god in his perfect righteousness he did what we could never do and maybe on your best days you can make a good hop and a leap and a good balancing act but eventually you're going to fall on your butt Right? Eventually, you are not going to be the best you that you think you can be on your own. But that's the beauty of why he came. 
That's the beauty of what was revealed on that day. The fullness of God's grace in human form. To be for us what we could not be for ourselves, our salvation. And what trains us? Yes, are we called to live a holy life? Absolutely. Are we called to pursue righteousness? Absolutely. But it isn't His perfection that is our trainer. It's the fullness of God's grace and salvation that trains us. It meets us where we're at. It picks us up when we fall down. Grace becomes our teacher. In grace, He trains us to renounce the ungodliness and passions of this world. In grace, He teaches us what it means to live self-controlled in a world that is absolutely out of control. In grace, He shows us how to reflect the holiness of His nature in a present age that does anything but. Beloved, grace is our teacher. And He came 2,000 years ago in the form of an innocent child and he grew in perfection and he died in perfection and he rose again and returned to perfection not so that you could play a glorified game of follow the leader. Not so that you could hide in your sin and your shame covering yourselves with fig leaves because you didn't play the game perfectly. No, he meets you in that place in his love and his grace and says, I've already done it for you. And so rather than trying to earn my love for you, abide in my love for you. Rather than trying to become something that you can't become on your own, trust in the fact that I became it for you. And let's do this together. That's the beauty of his sending us his spirit. He actually comes and resides inside of us to show us the way. Isn't that beautiful? So he came to not only show us the fullness of who God is, he came to not just become the the perfect sacrifice for our sin, but it's out of that love that he shows us, that he refines our purpose in the here and now to show us what our steps forward look like and what they're rooted in. They're rooted in his grace. They're rooted in his loving kindness. They're rooted in the fullness of who Christ is, which is the fullness of who God is on display, living, dying, and rising again for you. Wow. That's a reason to celebrate year after year, isn't it? That's a reason to leave the poinsettias on the stage for one more week, isn't it? I think so. And I'm kind of a Christmas Scrooge sometimes, so. Aside from the whole decorations up till March. That being said, let's look at verse 13 and 14. Why does he do this? Waiting for our blessed hope. You know, I'll just back up and read it because I think it's better if you just read it in full context. Sorry for the slides. It's my fault. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He did it so that he who is the embodiment of the fullness of God and gave up his body unto death so that we could be saved might one day 
be redeemed by him as a pure and spotless bride of people who are zealous for good works. Now, I know it's easy at this point to read that last line and say, well, wait, you know what? I am, I am not very zealous for good works, and I do not feel very redeemed from the bonds of my sin. In fact, I very much feel in bondage to my sinful ways. Maybe it isn't evident on the outside of me, but it is sure evident in the inside of me. And I hate the person that I see that no one else sees. And I am not nearly as zealous for good works as I feel like a person who who believes in Christ should be. In fact, a lot of times I'm doing it for the wrong motives or or I'm prideful while I do it. Or man, I just I just don't seem to reflect his character at all. Try harder. Be better. What's wrong with you? Don't you know what he did for you? Let's pray. No. To that I say, go back to the first Christmas. It's why we come back to it year after year, right? Otherwise, why won't we just celebrate it and kind of put it down as well? Learn that fact and let's move on. No, let's, let's go back to, let's go back to the first Christmas. And let's meditate on the one who left heaven. Right? Philippians 2. Left heaven to come after you. Who took on flesh so that he could die in your place. Consider the lengths that he went to love you. And if you've believed unto him for salvation, allow that grace to wash over you. Allow that grace to pick you up off your butt in the snow and dust you off. And then ask his spirit that resides in you to take you by the hand and show you what it means to take the next step with him towards him. He did not come to put a burden on you that you could not bear. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense in in light of the things that he promised in his word. It doesn't make sense in light of Jesus saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. What kind of a savior would he be to come down and start a game that we could never finish? To start a something that would only lead to our impending failure time and time and time again. No, he started something to show us his love. And he started that in his love by leaving heaven to come to us. That's why he offers us rest. Because without it, we would be just like every other religion out there, right? Us trying to create our own ladder of works and and, and righteous displays to work our way up to God. And yet, the thing that separates the cross of Christ from any other means by which man thinks that they can acquire a way to God is the fact that he came to us. He came to us to become like us. To die for us. He blew up any ladder there could ever be. And he made perfect strides towards the Father that he calls you to trust in by faith. And when you fail, he calls you to come to him and lean on his love. And lean on his grace. And allow him to to lovingly take you to the next step. How beautiful is that? What a gift. What a gift that we just got to kind of move the paper back and lift up and view. And yet it isn't the last gift, because I promised you four. And we have time for one more, so that's good. 
Let's go back to a verse that we just read, and that's verse 13. I apologize to my slide people. I told you that I would stay on point, and I didn't. And I totally ruined your day. And I love you, and I hope you forgive me. But that being said, let's, uh, let's look at verse 13 real quick together. Verse 13, it said, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we see that in the incarnation of Christ, our hope is solidified. Our hope is solidified. He didn't have to come. He could have found some other way at some lesser cost. He could have looked at the people that he was coming to save and said, you know what, not worth it. He could have nuked us all and just decided to breathe earth too in existence and start all over. And I think if we take an honest look at our inward state, we would say he's more than justified. But as we've seen in these past few weeks uh, through the book of Isaiah, that's it's not what he said he would do. It's not what he said that he would do. And we have a heavenly father who does what he says he will do. Regardless of the faithfulness or faithlessness of those he's doing it for. And because he kept his word and came to us as a man, because he kept his word and went to the cross and gave himself in place of us, because he kept his word and rose from the dead three days later, we can rest assured that one day our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came as a baby, will one day come back as a conquering king. Our hope is solidified because it rests on the promises of one who has never failed to keep a promise he has made. And so we can rejoice in this Christmas season because we see the appearance of the fullness of God, something that invokes in us worship. We see the appearance of his plan of salvation, which is a great hope to all who believe. We see the beauty of his grace and his love for us, which which inspires us, which meets us in our failure picks us up, dusts us off, and and shows us the next step towards Him in righteousness. And we see a blessed hope. We see a blessed hope that we can hold on to, and we know that this is a year that we need hope, right? This year, more than any year, we have to be not so quick to throw out the poinsettias. This year, of any year, we need to be quick to pick up and meditate upon the beauty of what Christmas is, what we celebrate, and the hope that we draw from it. Because the truth is that the start of a new year really isn't the start of anything new, is it? That's the dirty truth behind that wonderful song that we all sing when the ball drops. Like, oh, this is so great. Look at it. It's a new year. Is it? Really? You're just going to be tired tomorrow. And whatever problem you were hoping to avoid when the ball drops and the songs that are being sung, it's just going to be waiting there for you with less sleep in the morning. Or if by some crazy miracle you wake up and all of your problems just disappeared when you flip the calendar over, what is the dirty truth about life in a broken world? There's going to be a whole new set of them waiting for you in a new year. New names, bows on them and everything, just problems. 
I say this not to rain on your parade or to steal any amount of hope that you have with the dawn of a new year. I say that so that we can ensure that our hope is rooted in the right thing. So that our hope is firmly rooted in the source of all hope. Our Savior. Grace, who came to us. Salvation, who came to us. Life in this life and life in the next who came to us. That's where our hope is. And as we transition into a new year, if we transition into it with any other focus other than a focus on Him, we are sure to bottom out by this time next year. Because whether our problems persist in 2021 or whether new ones are there, our hope is found in our Savior. Our hope is found in a life lived unto Him regardless of our circumstances. Our hope is found in the grace that He continually offers us even when we fail, even when we fall short. And His hope is a hope of life everlasting in this life and in the life to come. It's a promise that we can bank on. And it's one that we can't pack away with the decor and let get dusty for another year. And so today, as you leave, reflect upon this. Because it's truth that is made for you to unpack and carry with you into a new year. Do you need grace for the first time or for the millionth time? Come to Him today. Do you need hope? Do you need Him to be your salvation today for all of eternity or just just hope for the next few days that you have to face, come to Him today. He came for this life and the life to come. So let's not miss that and let's take advantage of the the glorious gift that was given to us 2,000 years ago, a gift that still applies today and every day. So may we never box up the beauty of His coming, but allow the beauty of His coming to impact every day that we live as we wait for him to come again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending the fullness of who you are in the form of a man. A man who is also God. I thank you for our our Savior who came to us to display your love, to display your grace, to point us to the truth of who you are. And to be for us what we couldn't be for ourselves. God, I pray that as we move out of this season of Christmas, I pray that we wouldn't move out of a mindset that comes as we focus on what you did. I pray that it would be a mindset that follows us into the new year and into every day that we live. God, because there isn't a day that goes by that we don't need to be reminded of your salvation that we don't need to be reminded of your beautiful grace and the truth of who you are, and that we don't need the blessed hope that comes from knowing you in this life and knowing what awaits us in the life to come. Thank you for being our gift. Thank you for being our reason for celebrating. May you be the meditation of our hearts and minds as we go forward today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.